Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week we're continuing our read-through of Catching Fire with chapters 18 and 19. Why don't you start us off with a recap? So, Cinna takes a bow for the Mockingjay dress transformation. Then, during PETA's interview, PETA reveals the lie that he and Katniss actually got married and she's pregnant which sends the audience into an uproar. Then, when the anthem plays, Katniss starts her own act of rebellion by offering her hand to Chaff, and all of the other victors follow suit by joining hands in solidarity before the capital cuts off the power to the screens and lights. Before bed, they say goodbye to Haymitch, and he tells Katniss to remember who the enemy is when she's in the arena. The next morning, Senna goes with Katniss to the launch room, where he sits with her and tells her he's still betting on her. When she gets into the launch tube, peacekeepers enter the room and beat Senna and drag him away while Katniss has to watch before being thrust into the arena. When the games start, Katniss and Finnick get to the cornucopia first because they're good swimmers, and Finnick reveals Hamish's gold bracelet on his arm and says they're allies. Katniss tentatively accepts this, and together they gather weapons and join Peta and Mags. Katniss thinks about how quickly the victors' solidarity from the previous night unravels in the bloody games, and that she and Finnick know that Peta is the only one who won the games by accident. As they hike through the jungle, Peta is thrown back after accidentally hitting the force field with his knife, and his heart stops beating. Oh, Peta! I know, what a rude place to end a chapter. So rude. Suzanne Collins! This is why we all have to keep reading. I mean, we didn't, but we did the first time we read it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. There's no way I would have stopped there. It's impossible. Well, let's get into our discussion then. So what are your striking moments? What stood out to you during this reading? So one thing I was thinking about this read through is when Katniss is suddenly worried for Senna Mm. after her dress transformation. And she thought, he did it for me. And at first I was thinking, no, he did it for the resistance. Mm -hmm. But then after the conversation we had last week about Snow's potential intentions with that wedding dress. Mm -hmm. I then think that Sinna was doing it both for the districts and for Katniss because if she was going to die in this arena, she cannot be remembered as a bride, you know, Mm -hmm. for, for her as well as for the districts. Yeah, exactly. After he gets the order to dress her in a wedding dress. Mm Mm-hmm. I can imagine him making the decision that, no, that that can't be how this happens. Yeah. I was also thinking about the lies that PETA shares in his interview. Mm-hmm. Previously, I thought about the whole marriage, pregnancy lies that they were just to help protect Katniss by gaining more support for her in the arena so that sponsors will want to give more money so it's more likely that she'll survive and things like that but this read through i also see the marriage reveal as an act of dissent Mm -hmm. because he was revealing that they did something outside of the capital's control Mm -hmm. he even frames it as a secret Mm -hmm. implying that 
the government wouldn't be happy about it. Yeah, I mean, it's saying that the capital wanted to make their marriage a performance for the capital. Mm-hmm. But by Peter saying, oh, actually, we already got married, he's saying that they have lives and traditions and communities that are outside of what the capital sees and cares about. And that are actually more meaningful for them. Exactly. Yeah. And that their existence isn't just for the capital's entertainment. Yeah, the experiences of the district, people, like you were saying, they are more important than the laws Mm -hmm. and than what the government says is valid with a piece of paper and going to the justice building and all of that. And so, yeah, I can imagine that if you were in the districts and you heard about Katniss and Peter defying the government and the whims of the capital in this way that it could add fuel to the fire Mm -hmm. absolutely which i hadn't really been thinking about it before i was more like oh well this is him trying to protect and save katniss you know Mm -hmm. protect her protect her also in light of our conversation last week about the interviews and kind of it being a letdown that she doesn't do anything besides the dress moment that we know of at least I love that Katniss initiates the hand-holding solidarity Mm. symbol moment because Peeta is better at words Mm -hmm. than Katniss, but she is better at creating these iconic, bold, unforgettable moments that are inspiring for people. And I think also the fact that she reaches her hand out to Chaff, someone who, as we previously discussed assaulted her mm-hmm. even if it wasn't through a malicious intent it still was that you yeah. know and her reaching her hand out to him is a big deal it's i think a, a bigger act of solidarity than her offering her hand to any other victor that's up there on stage yeah it's her choosing to see him as not only an oppressor but also a person with more levels than that and a person that the capital is tormented to not that in any way she's obligated to do that or anything but yeah yeah, i think that that's also an important part of katniss that very much carries through from the previous book where even cato in the end she sees the the humanity there despite him literally trying to kill her Absolutely. And, and yeah, like you said, she also can see Chaff as a victim of the Capitol, Mm -hmm. which I think is very well symbolized by the fact that she takes his arm because his hand was removed during his games and he chose to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. And so that alone, it's, is, I think, a symbol of the Capitol's traumatic touch on these victors so for her to, yeah, reach out to that specifically, I think, is a, an important facet, too. Yeah, it's, it's not something I really noticed before. So it's definitely a striking moment. Totally. What about you? Yeah, I was also thinking about PETA's interview, which I'll probably bring up a few times today. <laughs> um, but one thing I think that was something that I never thought about before was how PETA's bitterness is coming out here. Mm. I think that that bitterness 
is more powerful because he's typically so genial. Mm-hmm. He's so upbeat and likable, even in tragic moments in yeah. interviews in the past, that here, for him to show his bitterness, like you were saying, is an act of dissent, is an act where he's saying, this is not okay. He's choosing not to perform as much as he normally performs in these circumstances. Exactly. And I think it's more successful because he is so he has been so good at performing before that. So, mm-hmm. you know, in a way he built up a kind of capital of not being the girl on fire, not being the the re- rebel, not being someone who stands up to the capital until now. And so that makes it so yeah. It's lover boy. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why he can get so much of a reaction from even the capital mm. in that moment. I also really appreciated the moment where Cinna analyzes Katniss's outfit for the games and talks about how it could be useful mm-hmm. in the arena. I think it's powerful that his last act essentially was helping her. Mm-hmm. was helping her to be to be able to survive even in the small way but in a way that he's bringing his expertise to what she's about to go through yeah it's fascinating because i wonder if other stylists do that mm-hmm. with their victors or if a lot of them just don't care it's like oh i did my part and now whatever you know yeah it very much shows what their relationship is based off of even to the end yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very him mm-hmm. that he has certain skill sets, but he's going to use anything that he does have to help. Exactly. And then I think the last moment for me was just when we finished chapter 18 and then saw that we are now in part three of the book with chapter 19, just how two-thirds of this book is gone before we get into the arena. Yeah. Which is just a testament to what this series is about. The series is not about how exciting it is for kids to kill each other in an arena. Mm-hmm. It is about what it means for society to have that as such a central part of its culture and systems and what it means for someone to live through that and survive it and then be re-traumatized and and try to understand what their role is when they're dealing with their own survivability and higher ideals and the people they care about and all these other kinds of things and that we've been talking about for weeks now only now we're getting into the hunger games aspect of it the actual games and i think that that is yeah just such a a really great way of showing why this series is so special and why it's so much more than it's often labeled as. Mm-hmm. And also, I think why this book is probably my favorite of the mm-hmm. three. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. The games section was number two for book one. Mm-hmm. We spent two of the three sections in the games setting up that experience and everything, but... Now, as we move into the next book, it's so much more about everything else. Absolutely. Which is also funny because, like, for me, as we'll see in upcoming chapters, this arena I find pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. More interesting than the first arena. You know, the part of me that does still find... For the part of me that wants to watch exactly. people kill each other. <laughs> you know, because that is still a part of the entertainment of it. But 
it's such a smaller part of this book. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I, that must be intentional and important as kind of a meta narrative of what Suzanne Collins is trying to do. Yeah, I mean, she's helping lead all of the readers into a more focused, not entertainment-oriented place. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, before we move into the next section, another thing that I just wanted to bring attention to was when Finnick says, I can't leave Mags behind. She's one of the few people who actually likes me. That was also on my list. That Yeah, it's, was... it's such a good line coming from someone who it's projected that the whole world adores yeah. you know but how i read that is she's one of the only people who likes me yeah i, I put in my notes she's one of the only people who knows me mm -hmm. exactly she likes me for me yeah. not because i'm beautiful not because of what i can do absolutely yeah yeah a really important moment i saw your little sticker there oh yeah i put a little, <laughs> I put a little aww sticker mm-hmm I have some emoji stickers, so I, yeah. I yeah. Like, Aw, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we probably should move in to our next segment. This is From Another Point of View, where we talk about things that happen in these chapters from a different perspective than Katniss's. So what perspectives did you bring? Yeah, I love how we've gone from, oh, let's just bring one each to not just one each. Yeah, no. So... Gasp. We have <laughs> too much to talk about. So I am bringing two, and I wanted to first bring us back to Caesar Flickerman's point of view. Oh, you're stealing another one from me. Oh, well, I'm the main person who's talked about Caesar Flickerman <laughs> this whole time. So you know what? You can just respond to what I say and agree and say, yes, you did that better than I ever could have. We'll see. <laughs> So I was thinking about Caesar making the connection between her dress now being the Mockingjay and knowing that that's a symbol of all these uprisings. Mm -hmm. Then noticing that he then automatically starts talking about Cinna. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of thinking about was Caesar trying to push the blame for the Mockingjay dress away from Katniss and on to Cinna to try to protect her. Because, one, it's possible that she could still be the sole victor that makes it out of these games. Yeah. And not having that on her as well. Or, even if she doesn't make it out of the games, if there's some horrific mutt situation to pin on her, you know, uh, to, to take out anger on her even more. So in the games in a targeted way. Yeah, so if he was trying to protect her and kind of push the, the focus, I also think it's very interesting to be intending for any retribution for the dress to be on a capital citizen mm. rather than the girl from District 12. From somebody who is from the capital, I think, yeah, that is a pretty big deal if that's what's going on. And I could imagine maybe part of it is because after doing all of these interviews for so long, being there and interviewing these victors yet again mm -hmm. and knowing they're all going to die except one, maybe this is his way of trying to help in the midst of this terrible situation because also he asked PETA directly 
What was it like when, after all you've been through, you found out about the quell? Mm-hmm. Like, that is just opening the door for PETA to complain about the Capitol, <laughs> complain yeah. about what's happening. And Caesar Flickerman is clearly very emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. He is great at reading a room, reading individual people. And so he is well aware that people are so angry in the audience and he couldn't even have a ton of conversation with Katniss because of the noise level yeah based off of the anger and outrage and so to ask that question and to even frame it as after all you've been through I feel like yeah is kind of giving Peter the match, you know? Yeah. What were you thinking? Yeah, I kind of tried to to challenge that because that was my initial read of this uh, and probably even still my headcanon for how I want Caesar to be. But I started kind of going down a path of challenging that, in particular because of some really great conversations we've had about him and other Capitol folks on the Patreon discussion posts. And so I started thinking about... What if, as you mentioned, when he puts the the kind of blame on Cinna, it's less of a trying to put blame on Cinna, and it's more of a trying to distill in the district's ideas that Katniss is a rebel, that she is intentionally up here as the Mockingjay mm-hmm. to spit in the face of the Capitol. Like, no, 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 this is just a design. It's just more of what Cinna's doing as part of the games. You know, if he's trying to quell that, because the reason that he knows... Quell that? Yeah, exactly. Wink, wink. The reason that he knows that this is a symbol for the resistance, for these uprisings, is because, I mean, he is such an important part of the propaganda machine Mm -hmm. in the capital. And so he needs to know where he should be moving conversations to and from in his interviews. And so... I could imagine him having been trained beforehand. Whatever you do during these interviews, and particularly in the interview with Katniss, do not frame her as a rebel. And I started thinking about what his mindset might have been here, because as much as I want to think about him as seeing these victors as almost like old friends or people he's helped in the past, I also wonder if there's a part of him that is capital through and through enough that after an hour and a half of interviewing people who are just attacking the Capitol and that he's having to play damage control of, when Katniss's dress becomes the Mockingjay, becomes a symbol that he knows is dangerous, I wonder if there's a part of him that is frustrated, that is angry, that she and these other people are, even after all the help he gives them, continuing to make things difficult. And yeah, if that maybe turns him against Katniss in a bit, a bit, where maybe he feels, you know, it's the end of the interview, but maybe he feels a little less happily willing, able to help her in the small ways that he can. Because not only has the help that he's done possibly been negated by the fact that all these victors are now going back into the arena, but they're also making it more difficult by being more defiant. So yeah, I just, I don't know if that's what's actually happening with Caesar, but I just find it compelling and possible, I guess, as another reading of 
what he, after a very long night and a difficult night, might be feeling at that moment and other kinds of motivations that might be affecting his decisions. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because I always read it more the way you're talking about it previously mm. until now. And like, maybe he's actually doing something in a small way that he sees to try to help. Obviously, if he really wanted help, he would do something in a big way. For sure. But um, I guess I would assume that he would ask a different question to Peter then. That he would ask something more like, how have you and Katniss spent your last days together? You know, something like that that's more like romance-based rather than what was it like for you after all you've been through to find out about the quell. Yeah, that was a really good point that you brought up. I think that the only kind of reading I could bring that would be more, you know, bad Caesar uh, (laughs) would be I mean, he's still bad Caesar. It's just how bad Caesar. Um, I mean, his name is Caesar after all. (laughs) But would be that he, in asking that, is essentially having a kind of trauma porn. Let us all get entertainment from your sadness. Mm -hmm. Tell us how hard this was for you so that me and all these other capital folks can maybe feel how tragic this is but never really be affected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is in of itself kind of objectifying and and patronizing. But yeah, I I think that my preferred reading of (laughs) Caesar has always been the one I think that you're bringing to the table. Wait, you... Wanting to see the best in characters. <laughs> exactly. And like them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I'm like, how are you the worst? <laughs> well, you said you had two POVs. So what's the other? So the other I was thinking about Beatty. Kind of imagining him in the launch room right before the games start. Getting right to examining his belt. Mm. feeling it seeing the weight of it you know smelling it anything that he can with his senses trying to deduce what this is for because why would they just give you a belt yeah then once he's raised into the arena him noticing the water and kind of initially feeling this spike of panic because he can't swim but then quickly deducing that the belts must be flotation devices because there's no way the game makers would allow so many tributes to be killed on the first day in such an uninteresting way. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of him then taking the belts off and, and squatting down in the Asian way on his little platform and putting the belt in the water and making sure, yes, it does float and then watching to see if any of the victors that went into the water were attacked by mutt marine Mm. life and just like trying to be really logical and strategic about everything but still feeling adrenaline course through him having to remind himself of the things to do and the ways to think about things knowing how vulnerable he is as somebody who has a small frame, as somebody whose main skills are tech-related, not mm-hmm. not weaponry. Yeah, just, just being there knowing that in a matter of minutes he might be dead. Also, maybe worrying the virus is not okay. Knowing that the only, you know, he's her only chance of 
having an ally mm. or getting in with any allies. It was also just thinking about him seeing Katniss and Finnick, that alliance sort of solidify and know that, okay, well, they must be going to get PETA soon and I can see PETA. I know where they're going. So then deciding to get in the water and swim to shore and see if maybe he can join their little mm. alliance because possibly Hamish mentioned to him that Katniss wanted him and Wyrus as their allies earlier in the week and him just hoping that that's still true because obviously she could kill him in a second. Then I was just kind of imagining him seeing Katniss and Peeta and Finnick and Mags take off into the jungle but also at the same time seeing Wyrus making her way towards him and having to decide whether to wait for Wyrus or just run after the other group yeah I mean meanwhile watching the career pack mm -hmm. killing people that he's known for years yeah and him just trying to focus on what he's doing and just pushing down the sorrow of that mm -hmm. as well as the anxiety of being in the arena again of knowing that he could die at any moment yeah a painful death yeah i like that this opening of the games starts off with so much happening Mm -hmm. That that I think gives a, a really good perspective that's outside Katniss's, but of, yeah, what it's like for someone who is not a career at all, is not in the prime of their youth, is uh, not someone who initially won because of physical mm -hmm. might. So yeah, yeah, uh, BB's a great, a great perspective. Well, and to think about, too, the cornucopia only opens one way. What if you're on the other side? Like I you think about that every time I see it. Right? It's so rude. <laughs> like you can't even see if there's something that you could use. And we don't exactly know where he is. We know he's like three platforms away from PETA. But But someone's at the tail of that cornucopia. Exactly. Yeah. So rude. So rude. I mean, maybe even Finnick was, because Finnick is a better swimmer than Katniss is, For even sure. though, you know, she's a good swimmer compared to most of the rest of the victors. But he got to the mouth of Cornucopia a little bit after her. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe he was around the others. Yeah, but it sounds like maybe there were weapons on that side, too, because he already had some weapons. He already had his net and trident, so... I mean, but it might have a big mouth, the Cornucopia. I mean, that's true, too. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying... I don't think that they're on the other side, though, because she said that last games, there were things, like, spread out around, mm -hmm. and this one, they were all just piled at the mouth. Yeah. But so yes, rude. Very rude. <laughs> Anyways, why don't we go into your other points of view? Sure. So, since we both talked about Caesar for a while, I'll just bring up one more, which is Finnick. I was thinking about how difficult it must have been for him to have to convince Katniss and know that to fail on that means that she is going to try to kill him. And so... I mean, she's going to kill him. <laughs> I mean, yes. She has a bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just, I, I was thinking about kind of what it was like for him to, to yeah, try to show off the bangle and try to say just enough so that she would understand what his intention is and in particular understand what Hamish is trying to communicate to her, mm -hmm. how he remains tense and ready to strike as well because he's also got to be prepared for if she's going to attack, 
he's going to try to survive. Yeah. And that might mean attacking her back and what that might mean when, you know, for all the things that he's he's trying to do. So yeah, I just thought that that was already a difficult situation to be in. But then as they're traveling and as Katniss, after she sees the bloodbath continuing to go on, starts thinking about how she should just end this alliance now, kill Finnick without letting it continue to go forward. But when she comes back down, he's already in a defensive posture mm-hmm. and she thinks about how he already knew kind of what was going through her head. And he has this kind of challenging tone about, oh, was everyone holding hands? You know, <laughs> which... Such a great line. Did they all throw their weapons in the in the water and protest at the Capitol? Totally. Um... <laughs> Which is also amazing because that's what Peter did last time. <laughs> oh, yes, that is great. Um, but it made me think, this read-through, oh, these aren't Finnick's lines. These are Hamish's lines. This is what Hamish told him he needs to say to her. I think Hamish, when he gave him the bangle and was like, she doesn't want any allies, so you have to convince her. And she's not going to remain convinced. And in particular, after the bloodbath, she's going to see everyone as an enemy. Because we've really seen how Hamish understands Katniss and how the two of them are able to really understand how they think and, and how best to communicate with one another to to get what they want. And so, yeah, I mean, not to say that those are specifically Hamish's lines, but I do think uh I'm now just imagining Finnick getting coached by Hamish. Mm. And if you really want her as an ally, you're going to have to find some way to convince her after all of these people are trying to kill y'all mm-hmm. that you're not that person, at least yet. <laughs> exactly. You're useful enough for now. <laughs> and like to know that you have to start a conversation to break the thought pattern, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and so I was even imagining Finnick having that conversation with Hamish and being like, what have I gotten myself into? That I have to have this conversation in the arena instead of during training, when is which is what we've been trying to do for days, yeah. <laughs> is develop these alliances, and it hasn't worked. And so now we have to make this work. You spewing terrible pickup lines, getting in her personal space, Making a noose and pretending to hang yourself are not working, Finnick. <laughs> you need to use your words. And Finnick just being like, ugh, why doesn't she just think I'm pretty enough? <laughs> but then when they do first see each other, the cornucopia, they do still have a flirty exchange. Like, <laughs> I mean, a, a joking exchange. I don't know if flirty is right. I think but. for Finnick, I it's... I mean, I feel like Finnick just rolls in flirty. Exactly. Like, he doesn't have another mode that we've seen yet. Of Precisely. His communication. <laughs> <laughs> but Katniss is delightful. Yes, absolutely. I had a really big bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, enemies everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, well, but yeah, that is, that is a funny thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Hamish isn't going to be, like, talking Katniss up. He's going to be all like, look, she's stubborn. She's difficult. You're going to have to deal with her this and that. I mean, and I'm sure some of it Fennec already has gathered. Because when he was talking with her previously, and she, he was like, oh, do you have any secrets for mm. me? And she said, 
everybody else seems to know my secrets before I do. And he's like, unfortunately, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. So I think he knows he's gathered some insights into Katniss just from watching her games and totally. interviews and all of that. But yes, Hamish definitely would be a very helpful resource <laughs> for someone like Finnick to be able to talk to someone like Katniss. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as much as sometimes Katniss doesn't like Hamish, at least his straightforward way of talking, she can appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on. Our next segment is our touch points, where we see how what we're reading connects to our own society. So what were your touch points? So one that I didn't talk about last time because there was just too much to talk about, uh, but I thought I could still bring it up here, is child marriages. Mm. Because that's unfortunately a huge thing that still happens in the world. Yeah. Uh, currently, the total number of girls married in childhood is 12 million per year, which sadly, is a big improvement because of one of the UN's sustainable development goals has been to reduce child marriages. Mm. So it actually has gotten better. In 2015, the UN estimated one in nine girls globally were married by the age of 15. Mm. One in three were married by the age of 18. But then in 2018, so three years later, the number of girls married before 18 was one in five so it's still bad yeah but it has gotten somewhat better yeah i mean the fact that also the capital is swoons over this idea of a wedding and voting on the dresses and you know things like that i mean they're mad in these chapters because they're not going to get that marriage Mm -hmm. but they are children and even though globally Many, many more millions of girls are married as children. And obviously, non-binary or trans people aren't counted in that. But um, globally, 115 million boys and men were married by the age of 18 as well. Mm. So it's not only a problem among girls. But yeah, I mean, just thinking about even someone 17 having to concoct a story about getting married and things like that like he's pressured into doing this even if he's using what he's saying as an act of dissent Mm -hmm. the fact that this is the situation and he's still dressed as if he's a groom you know like it's disturbing yeah i was also thinking about pregnancy Mm -hmm. just how he just saying that made everyone get so angry in the audience, like to the point where even after the interviews are done, everyone's back in their rooms. There are people on the street, yeah, angry, writing, whatever word we should use there. It was just kind of reminding me of people who are anti-abortion. It's like only during pregnancy that they care. Because after birth, terrible things can happen to the children and those in power actually legislate things that are going to make life inhumanely difficult for Mm -hmm. certain races and gender identities and disabilities and um, classes of children, right? And with the environment, eventually everyone. Oh, well, (laughs) 
Of course. Yeah. <laughs> All children at yes. that point. But, you know, that that just doesn't matter. That's not a part of the, the quote-unquote pro-life mm-hmm. idea, which is why I say anti-abortion, because it's not really pro-full-spectrum of life, right? Yeah. And all of these people in the audience, you know, are upset about the idea that Katniss is pregnant and that she'll die in the arena. And every single year, they're seeing 24, or Hamish's year, 48, kids be slaughtered. Why is it that the 12-year-old who's in that circumstance or the 18-year-old doesn't matter? Yeah, and they don't not have mad the about that. innocence or whatever they're putting on this child. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's because of the oppressive laws of their government. Mm-hmm. It's because of that that all of this is happening so that not even just the kids who make it into the arena should be upsetting them, but all of the kids, or not just kids, kids grow up. All of the people who are dying in the districts from dangerous working conditions, from malnourishment and disease, you know, it's just, just, this has been going on all the time and they haven't been outraged by it. Absolutely, yeah. Just today on the Hunger Games subreddit, I saw a discussion about contraception in Mm -hmm. Pan Am and Mm -hmm. of the, I think there's only two or three comments when I saw it, but they were all basically like, Oh, yeah, there's no contraception allowed oh. in, in the districts. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, on one of our Patreon discussions, we were talking about that as well. Yeah. Like, absolutely not. There's no sex ed absolutely. because they don't want there to be. Yeah. Well, before we move on, I have something on essentially the same topic. Oh, good. Because this is a really important moment. Uh, Katniss sees this as an important moment. How PETA's way with words is so powerful and how talented he is in that so yeah you know i often think about this moment positively but this read through particularly after our discussion last week about how katniss didn't have a lot of agency at least until the hand-holding element in these interviews she wasn't doing much it made me kind of start to think a little bit more critically of this moment because in a way pita's still utilizing Katniss's body without her permission here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He is, you know, making up a fake pregnancy there, but he is creating lies about not only her sexual history with him, but also, yeah, her current body and what's going on with it for everyone without even talking about it with her first. Mm -hmm. And so this is obviously not a physical manifestation of this and afterwards she does tell him that he has nothing to apologize for so she's not upset about it but it is still a way of him making a decision about her body for her and in our society women's autonomy and agency over their bodies is so often challenged mm-hmm. that this is i think a small example of something similar absolutely i mean this moment has actually never sat right with me Mm. since my first reading of it i i like that he asks her as soon as he can is there anything i have to apologize for he doesn't want to get hit again but yeah (laughs) but 
that that doesn't undo the fact that yeah he made a decision for her mm-hmm. and he should have just asked her yeah absolutely i think my previous reviews i mean first off i'm a cis male like it's not going to come to me the same way it might come to people with other experiences yeah also this is the first time i've read through this so deliberately and so slowly where i'm taking these pauses and trying to think about what i want to talk about for the podcast and things like that instead of yeah just reading through these chapters one after another and immediately going from like okay this happens and then she says it's okay so it's okay you know but I think that this chapter and, and I think all, both of our discussions that we've had thus far about pregnancy and women's autonomy and, and all these other kinds of ideas, I would hope would be the kinds of things that all readers start to pick up from these kinds of stories, because I can't imagine that it wasn't something that Suzanne Collins put in on accident. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult with PETA because PETA's always been very respectful of the boundaries that she has with her body yeah. and has never pushed anything. Even the first time they kissed, she kissed him and he, he had said to her, you know, you can kiss me at any time, you mm-hmm. know, rather than him trying to pursue that line. I mean, I, I understand narratively it's like, oh, surprise, mm-hmm. rather than we had the conversation before, but just have the conversation before even if it's not as shocking mm-hmm. yeah maybe maybe this is one of the downsides of the present tense first person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. narrative style because you can't you know in other styles you could perhaps have it be like and then Peta said what we had planned for and we got the reaction we wanted you can kind of skip around a little bit more mm-hmm. um, when it's past tense, but here it's it's a little bit more difficult to, to do that smoothly, but yeah. still, yes. At the very least, it could have been he approaches Katniss and says, there's something I'm thinking about mm-hmm. saying in this interview. Do you want me to tell you what it is now, or do you want me to just go with it? Yeah. And her thinking about it and being like, I'm planning I, on dying anyway. Or, like, even if he doesn't tell her, she thinks about, do I want to know now? And thinking, I might second guess it. Mm-hmm. Like, even the thing he did in the last game's interview really did help us. And it got us out of games alive. Yeah. So, I'm just going to be like, say whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, then at least... There's but, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's, there's a level of consent. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But, yeah, did you have other touch points you wanted to talk about? The other one I'll I'll go into is just how Katniss mentions once she's out of the beach area, goes into an environment that she's only heard about before, which is the jungle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's because there are no jungles in North America. So that just made me start thinking about how the environment has so often been changed or attempted to be changed in ways that are extremely costly in resources and time Mm -hmm. and ultimately not sustainable as someone who's really interested in la's history there's a lot of that here (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh in the late 1800s early 1900s which is really when la grew into a metropolis from a small town the people who are trying to get people to come to L.A. were literally advertising it as a subtropical paradise. Mm-hmm. We are not a subtropical climate. Mm-hmm. That is not the case. It is true it's that... It's one of the nice things. It doesn't yeah. have humidity here. Yeah. It is true that 
there's enough sunshine here that you can grow just about anything. Oh, absolutely. But it doesn't mean that we are an environment that's suited to grow all of those things, Mm. especially in a large scale. So as they started bringing in all sorts of plants from around the world, some of them like grass. Now you drive through LA and there's huge grassed areas. Grass is not something that would grow to the extent that a manicured lawn is going to grow in this area. We are more of a desert than anything else. And we don't have that kind of water available for huge landscapes of green plants. We Mm -hmm. have trees and more desert style fauna and flora in a lot of our, our areas as well as, you know, valley areas, coastal areas, and, you know, we're very diverse ecosystem. But regardless, There's a reason why LA has had ongoing droughts for decades, and it's because we are a basin that has well overused the Los Angeles River, our actual water that is in the region, and instead has stolen water from other places to maintain not only the size of population that we have and and the water that comes with just people, but also these huge changes to the environment based off of what these new things that are being planted here that are just for aesthetic purposes for the Mm -hmm. most part, right? These aren't being used for farmland. Uh, Though (laughs) there certainly was, for a very long time, orange groves and other kinds of farming that occurred in LA. That's not really the case anymore to a large extent. Now we use it, that water, for personal needs and for, yeah, lawns. I mean, there was a lot of trees and stuff, Mm -hmm. but yeah, succulents, especially at this point, would be much better suited. Absolutely, yeah. Because, yeah, the, the oak trees were able to be not only well maintained with the amount of rainfall and water that was naturally here, but they're also cultivated by our indigenous communities who knew not to overplant and not to overstimulate mm-hmm. and not to overdo these the kind of things, but instead to maintain a healthy environment. We don't do that anymore. And so the arena, I think, Shocking. is a great example of, for the worst of reasons, <laughs> all of these resources going into just planting a jungle in the middle of North America. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was my other touch point. Yes. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the jungle aspect. And I was like, I wonder if Chris will touch in on this. I did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> well, speaking of things that you're wondering about, why don't we head into our wonderments? What we're questioning or what's on our mind after this reading? Yeah, so Katniss thinks that Minnick also, like her, knows that PETA deep down is better than them. Mm. But... I'm I'm just wondering, is that actually true? I know Katniss feels that, but is it actually true? Because she allied with Rue. Mm-hmm. She knew she could never kill her. And she was also very aware that it could put her in more danger. She did it anyway. And she could have let Peeta bleed out and die at the end of the games instead of pulling out those berries. But she didn't. And so... Yeah, I just, I kind of wonder if that's, like, a quote-unquote true fact about the characters, or if that's just how Katniss sees him and sees herself, Mm. even in the aftermath of the guilt that she feels for killing people in the last games. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I see in different moments in the text over this book and and the last one just 
times of her downplaying herself, but other times just being very self-aware. Mm. Also, if you knew everything that was going through Peter's mind and if he had the skills to be able to do what you did to protect you, how, how would her opinion of him change based yeah. off of that? So, hmm. Yeah, I guess I'll be paying attention to those things as we continue reading how much evidence there is to back that up as a true statement or Mm. not what about you i was wondering about what the reactions to kind of the multiple sides of katniss that we see in those interviews because obviously the mockingjay outfit is meant to be a statement that can help incite uprisings and rebellion in the districts Mm -hmm. but the districts are also seeing her on stage in her wedding dress, twirling, putting her face in her dress when Peta mentions their marriage and the pregnancy. And so, yeah, I just, I wonder, particularly in the districts that are not quite as close to uprising as the ones that already have, what those discussions might be like if there are discussions where some people are trying to bring her up as a symbol of resistance and others being like, no, she's just a girl. She's just someone being used by the capital. She doesn't know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, what has she done other than eat those berries? She's only gone along with, you know, everything the capital tells her to do. And so, yeah, just thinking about how there's always going to be those discussions in communities and what those look like in the different districts. In particular, what those look like as the information they're getting is highly censored. And mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I just, uh, I can imagine those kinds of discussions of, but she reached out to Chaff. Yeah, but she twirled, you know, like just people mm-hmm. kind of going back and forth mm-hmm. as to, to what their reading of Katniss is. And, and uh, in particular, how much they want to risk themselves or their families or what have you to follow along with her when she hasn't been able to make a statement that is actually rebellious, calling for an uprising. One also interestingly... I could see it going the other way too, where they see Katniss and that dress transformation and some people being like, she must have asked her stylist mm-hmm. to, to create this because why would someone from the Capitol ever do this? Mm, yeah. Because the Capitol has sat by and watched this exploitation and violence happen for decades. I could also even think that, oh, maybe she was helping lead an uprising in her district and that's why they had this quell to begin with, to get rid of her and PETA, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I could see it going the other way, too, of interpreting more being there than actually is. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, let's head into our final segment, our intentions, what we're taking away from this conversation and this reading. So mine is... Thinking about Senna and how I think he is such a good, inspiring and chastising example of real allyship. Him putting his body and life on the line to take down the system that's grinding other people to the ground. I love Senna for it, and I also never know what to do with that (laughs) when I read it and I consider my own life, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, trying to explore looking at real allyship and what that means for someone like me, Mm. who 
has my own disabilities. And for example, several years back, there was a Black Lives Matter protest. And I was talking with one of my close friends about going and he warned me that the Pasadena police often purposefully dislocate your shoulders when they handcuff you. And he knows this because his father works for the Pasadena Mm. Police Department. And yeah, just me trying to weigh if I'm going to live, I just can't really take much more body pain than I already have Mm -hmm. um, against doing something that I think is important. And so it's like, shouldn't I be willing to put my body on the line in that way, you know? So it's a hard thing to navigate, particularly when the country you live in doesn't give me the same privileges that they give able-bodied people, you know? And so it's just, it's complicated. And I ended up not going then. So yeah, I, I think it's something I'll continue to try to figure out how to navigate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my intention is also about how to be a better ally. Because as, you know, we were talking in our touch points, I mentioned how, yeah, I was kind of struck by how PETA's choice was taking away some agency from Katniss. Mm -hmm. And you were just like, yeah, I've always read that. And that is something that's happened to me a few times over my life where I've come to a realization as (laughs) a privileged person and I don't take the moment to think, okay, how much of this is a realization because you actually have something interesting and new to think about? And how much (laughs) of this is because you're just privileged? Uh, It's a realization rather than a knowing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember once we were talking with our friend Aaron, who's been on the podcast a couple times, and I had recently heard a podcast uh, myself about Afrofuturism. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with you and him about it, and I I kind of was describing it. And as soon as uh, the conversation was over, I was just like, what am I doing? Of course Aaron knows what (laughs) Afrofuturism is. Aaron's a super smart black man who loves sci-fi. Like, (laughs) of course he knows this term just because you didn't know this term before you listened to that podcast doesn't mean that this is a revelation to the world. And so I've clearly been ashamed of that ever since. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, so so my intention is to maybe take a step back uh, a little bit more than I have and think through what I have to say to, to make sure that I'm not taking up room with my own experience and my own perspective on new thoughts or ideas to myself, at least so try to reframe that as... about 40 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> uh, or at least reframe my own, like, discussion of them as part of a ongoing conversation. Absolutely. I mean, and that's super important, obviously, for someone who's a cis All the privileges. And yeah, yeah, all the things. But, like, really for also anyone, yeah. because even though I have several disadvantages in this world i also have several privileges in this world as well you know i don't just know the perspective of other people in other communities and in sub communities and you know all of that like there's always stuff that we're going to be ignorant about obviously try not to be ignorant as much as we can but um yeah it's important for everyone to keep in mind Nobody is immune to that, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. 
Okay, well, on that note, I think we'll wrap up our discussion. So what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So next week, we are going to be reading chapters 20 and 21, where Katniss and friends fry some nuts. Yummy. Sizzle. Mmm. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you join us on Patreon so that you can also take part in the great book club discussions that we're having right there. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pestel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.